Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Foolish Gents Filmcast, the official podcast of Foolish Gentlemen Films. I'm Jake Rubin. And I'm Max Pava. This week we will be recapping the first season of two television shows that premiered this year. We have AMC's Preacher and Netflix Stranger Things. And just to let you all know now... Preacher kind of came at a weird, like, half season, so it felt right to do this as its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We've talked about it a little bit on, actually, our season previews and recaps and all that, but we'll go in-depth on the whole season. Um, And just to let you guys know, we will go full spoilers on both shows. They're both... I mean, Stranger Things has been out for, like, three weeks now, and Preacher finished this past Sunday. So Mm -hmm. if you don't want anything spoiled, maybe wait until you finish the show to uh, listen to this podcast. But why don't we jump... I think by the time we get this out, Preacher will have done, been done for like a week. So we're, we're giving you a little bit of time to get yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, let's, let's start with Preacher, which is AMC's new show from Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and Sam Catlin. And it's based off of uh, the graphic novel, which was released in the 90s, I believe. Yeah, I think early 90s. Yeah. Um, um, and have you read it? I, no, I haven't read it. So, so this is one of those weird things where it's like, it's like icon of comic book stuff, and I, I haven't read it. Um, Jeez, Jake, I've, I might uh, have to dethrone you a little bit, buddy. I've, I've read the first issue, which was loaned to me when I was in uh, high school. So anything I remember of it is, is years behind me now, and I'm pulling from some little corner of my brain. Um, I really liked it. I think it was a thing where I, w- I didn't like it enough to go run out and buy the rest of it myself, and I didn't have access or a way to read it. So it was one of those things that I just kind of forgot about. Cool. I mean, what I know about it is that the comic book is a road trip, which obviously comes into play in this season finale. Um, and I know that the creators of this said that this season would actually pretty much serve as a prologue for where the graphic novel begins. Yeah, we basically got a prequel. The The scene in the diner in the finale is the first scene in the comic book. Cool. And um, when when Jesse, like, receives Genesis, which is, happens in the first episode here, that basically makes his church explode on fire, and that's how the church, like, disappears. Um, that is, like, the start... That is, like, the first few pages of that comic. Got it. Um, so very different than this. Yeah, because what we get in the first season is pretty much Jesse Custer coming back or recently coming back to where he grew up to try to become the preacher and get everyone behind God. So I guess just broad strokes, what, what did you think of the show? I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, what, what I'll come out and say is, like, I don't think it's prestige television necessarily, and I don't know if I even want to try to put it up against prestige television. It kind of feels like The Walking Dead in that sense, and I think it, it, I don't know if it'll have oh, the same following. I think it's a step above The Walking Dead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I never really watched The Walking Dead. Um, I've seen episodes, but but in I the sense... That's se- the most inconsistent show on television. Got it. Um, I mean that, though, in the sense where, like, it really is entertainment, um, and I'm not trying to compare it to Breaking Bad or The Sopranos or sure. any of, like, the top-tier shows we've seen. And what I love about this show is that it's an incredibly distinct world and tone that I don't think you can find on any other TV show or really in any movies these days either. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I really appreciate. I love the characters. I mean, we've already praised the three lead actors, Dominic Cooper, Joseph Gilgan, and um, Ruth, Ruth Niga, Niga, as well as the supporting cast. Um, and I love I the was, guys playing Fior and DeBlanc, the two angels. They're Those awesome. Guys are w, w. Earl Brown, who and plays the... It seems the, like we lost one of them. Yeah, in, in the, the finale. finale. I, I well, we lost a, we lost a lot of people in the finale. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll get to um, it. I kind of would love to give overall thoughts yeah, before we really break that but, down. Um, but anyway, it was a world I was really happy to jump into every week, and it was a little rocky and inconsistent, and 
Definitely. every episode was fantastic and there were dips and dives and all of that. But at the end of the day, I, I never finished an hour of that show and was like, what a waste of my time or anything like that. Because sure. I just enjoyed the world thoroughly. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, it's almost a shame that this isn't prestige television because um, I think it, it's so close to being there. Sure. Um, and I think one thing to say is, like, my knowledge of the comics is mainly around what it means to people and when it came out. And when it came out, it first off, it's a lot cruder than the show is. Yeah. And the show is like, come, had a few times where it's like, it comes close to almost getting there and then it still can't. And I, I mean, I, part of that is they're not, uh, HBO or Showtime, they can't go fully inappropriate with their stuff. It's funny you say it's not quite prestige because AMC is at that level of TV that's like not quite able to do what HBO and Showtime. Well, can right, do but also. I would think that Bra uh, Breaking Bad or Mad Men and both of those would would hit that pinnacle. Of, Definitely, uh, like it hits that tier of, of, yeah, of yeah. prestige TV. And I think this is so close to being there. If it could only allow itself to go that extra step further, that actually makes you question if you should be laughing or enjoying the things you're watching, which is kind of how the comic book felt when I read it. I think there were definitely moments of that. There were season. moments of that. Specifically, yeah. the montage we get in the last Well, so what episode. I was going to say is this, to me, the whole season, felt like you had two shining bookends. I thought the pilot was, was so confident, comes out swinging. You've got, like, three of the best character introductions that I've seen in recent television. And the finale was really strong. Everything in the middle, like, it's got its moments. There are bright chapters inside of episodes, but, like, it's so inconsistent. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because we were talking earlier about how the ratings for the pilot and the finale were beyond... But I thought those two middle episodes were, were transcendent almost compared to the rest of the season. Yeah. And um, it's just interesting because, like, uh, when, it, when it came out, I was like, man, what a confident pilot. Like, they, it's, it's all those things you're saying. They commit to this bizarre world, these bizarre characters. You're a little bit behind it, which we'll talk about that a little more. I, I kind of appreciate that this is a TV show that doesn't feel the need to hold your hand. Um, I will say, though, that I don't know if they're aware of how, in like, I, I almost think uh, they don't treat your patients with any kind of reverence. And um, I think that gets into a dangerous turf because there are part of this, parts of this season where I got, like, really bored and i was like why is this what this show is uh a few times and um yeah i don't know it, it's it's like uh, i i think that this show because it ends where the comic book starts it's 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 right now it's what i saw was these characters are so great that i want more and i'm and i'm down to see more and that will get me into the next season but if they can use this as a springboard and this was just kind of them wading into the waters seeing how far they could push it and then AMC lets them blow the doors off next season, I think this show could turn into the kind of thing that we want it to be. I completely agree. Actually, it felt like a pilot season. Yeah, I just Not don't like, know, like, though, that if this was an indicator of, like, they're going to slow the pace down, It's this is what the show is going to be. Well, I think just by the three of them, the three characters they've built up so beautifully for us to care about, by them hitting the road, and we're going to go see, hopefully, a lot more of this world and what they have to do with it, they are kind of kicking down the doors. And... I mean, by leaving this town, it's expanding their budget as well. Like, they're going to sure. have the opportunity to do a lot more. Um, but I was saying before, is like it really does feel like this whole season was one pilot. 
Whereas, like, with a pilot episode, it's basically, uh, okay, am I going to watch ten more? hour pilot, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, which could be exhausting, but I think, I, I, for me, it still worked. I think this season um, could have been six episodes, though. I really do, because there, there were so many beats where we, like, spent so much time with storylines that then got dropped for, like, five to seven or eight episodes. Like, The Girl in the Coma. That was a huge beat for, like, two episodes, and then literally didn't matter until the finale. And... When you're just going to wipe the slate clean at the end of the season and literally blow up everybody it, that you've spent all this time with, just why? Like, why? But I, I think that's, in, I almost think that's intentional because by, as we're saying, they blew up Anvil at the end, which felt kind of like an, almost like a Ned Stark moment of being like, this is how the show is going to work. Like, you're going to see all these different... It's so funny, because, like, I had such a different perception of that, because having only read the comic, I knew that this, this was building up to them hitting the road and that church getting destroyed. So yeah. uh, it was almost like I had a spoiler from before I started. Yeah, and for me, it was just saying, like, this is how the show's going to continue to go. We're going to go to all these different towns across America, and these three characters are going to have their story, go through all these different locations and characters and all that, and I think... Um, while sure they they drop that storyline or whatever, I kind of think the whole point is that you're just getting like windows into these little pictures of people in these small towns. Sure, I guess what I felt was a little frustrating though is I felt like Woods Preacher is just such an out there idea to begin with, kind of got molded into a typical TV show where it's like this cast of characters and it's all about this town and it's the small town thing and it's like that's that's really not what this is setting up for even i mean they're going after questions like is god real which are awesome and uh there's a there's a bit of me that's got like full respect for them for being like we felt like this was the best way to carve out the story and this will make you attach to these characters and, and I'm, I'm with you for the most part i, I really enjoyed this season i i just kind of feel like they they kind of gave a bit of a middle finger to people who are actually fans of the source material now i'm not a diehard fan but like if you know the ending before you start the show it kind of pulls the rug out a bit I mean, can't you say that for any any comic book property or anything based off a book for someone no, who knows sorry, what's going to happen sorry. going in? If, 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 like, your starting point is where this season ends, the everything they're building, you know where it's going already. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, it does, but I think it still sticks to my argument of saying, like, if you go to see Civil War and you've read Civil War you know the direction the whole thing is going in. Sure, but this would be like I went to go see a movie for Civil War and the entire movie was a prequel to Civil War, the storyline. <laughs> sure, but they said before the season that it was going to be a, a prequel to the comic. So anyone who knew that, like anyone who read Preacher the comic, knew that going in. And I think that's actually kind of important because it's saying this is our voice within the property that you already know. And this is how we're going to treat it and this is how we're going to make it our own while still bringing in things you know and sure, like. Sure, just even from the, from the glimpse I have of it, though, it, a bit of this feels like preacher diet or preacher light, like where it's like, uh, we're not, this could really, really push boundaries. And instead, it could just kind of falls somewhere in the middle as far as what's happening on TV right now. And, and that, I guess, is what's disappointing, is like when you take source material that was so transcendent at the time, and they're not able to make it do that anymore as a TV show. <laughs> sure. I mean, I've, I've also, you know, I, I don't know a lot about the comic, but I've also read that some of that is because, like, things they said in that comic having to do with race and other oh, yeah. issues just, yeah, like, yeah. literally aren't okay to have now. But my thing is, find what the equivalent offensive thing of that is that you can make a statement on today. Yeah. And, and there's, man, turn on the news. There's plenty. Like... <laughs> yeah. Um... 
Yeah, I, I guess it didn't bother me as much, though, because I, I think there were plenty of, like, I think you and I are people who are very susceptible to, like, weird shit and down for it. Like, you and I both really like The Lobster. I know a ton of people who, like, didn't even know what to fucking do with that movie. So I think our baseline for where we are, you know, assessing this show is maybe far off from people who just watch normal TV. But I don't think so, because, like, the moments that got talked about this season are the moments where it leans into that bizarre and it starts to feel like the thing that it's based on, which is, like, moments where they have that hotel fight with the Seraphim at the top of that one episode where it's, like, bodies just piling up and you're seeing it all through that hole. Like, that was a great moment. Um, Eugene getting sent to hell. Uh, the homemade bazooka in the pilot. Like, stuff like that feels like of the world, but not necessarily stuff that happened in the comic. And I guess it was just like, I felt like there was so, so much time taken to get to some of those moments. And I don't know if the slow burn really worked for me in this environment, because when it's manic is when it's best. And I think that it, it could be manic wall to wall and it wouldn't be too much. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Where I'm with you is like, I, I think this definitely could have been eight episodes Maybe six. Yeah. Um, it just feels stretched out. Just really Yeah, stretched. yeah. And, like, the point A to point B of the season for characters like Tulip, Jesse, and Cassidy, like, aren't that drastic. They don't necessarily need all this middle stuff to happen. But at the same time, like, as was kind of my thesis for the show, like, I enjoy it all. Like, I enjoy all these little characters. I thought they were... I, I like, really liked... Um, God, what's his name? The fantastic actor who plays the villain. Um, Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, Jackie yeah, Earl Haley. Ha and, and Cannon. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. really good. And I, and I think all that's interesting. I, I hear but you. I, I think, but though, that he represents a weirder part of this world. He literally is the guy that worships the god of meat. He I mean, made like, his child out of meat. I mean, that, Which so, is also a thing from the comic. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> well, I think, so I mentioned that whole montage of, like, which is kind of like the last we see of Anvil, which I think really hits on what you were saying earlier about these really fucked up moments being seen with humor. Cause sure, the, ch the church lady, though, was, like, one who was, like, I, they spent so much time with her. With Emily? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and they just kind of dropped her. She was a weird character. And, like, the there wasn't... The romance between her and Jesse was never, like, really well, a thing, but kind of and was. And then, like, I guess you, they had her kill that other guy in the ninth episode yeah. so that you wouldn't feel bad when they the show kills her in the finale. But I was, like... I don't know if that read to me because it felt unmotivated. To me, I, so I thought that moment was a little weird and came out of nowhere. What I thought they were trying to do was saying, like, it was the everybody's fucked thing. Like, even the most innocent person in this community well, will sure, do the sure. worst kind of thing when they see how fucked up this world is with vampires and this and that. And you get a bit of that with the sheriff and Cassidy and those, I, I like, jail felt scenes like, in the finale. That, that, uh, would it not be a stronger choice to burn down the town and, and, and not everybody deserved that and the reason stuff like that is happening is because in this world there is no God? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. It just felt, it felt like they went out of their way to villainize characters that hadn't been, uh, didn't really have a reason to become villains at the end. Um, and, and I'm, I'm villains in air quotes because, like, Who's the villain here? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we, we were kind of praising it for at the midseason point was like how gray it all is, right? And, yeah. Um, well, and, and, and the finale makes heaven look like the bad guys, which I, I love. Yeah, um, the, the whole the whole God video I thought was just fucking hilarious. With it, was, the it was amazing. That was great, and I love. Uh, sorry, but I, I know I keep going back to that montage, but the one shot of the mom smothering the girl who was shot, and then the little brother coming in to take a selfie of the mom smothering. The daughter is like the perfect example of what you were trying to say earlier. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just, just find the things about today to yeah. make the comments on. <laughs> and, and listen, like I, I, I want to say, like 
the first season is almost never the best season of any show. It's a lot about which show finding its sure. identity, figuring out what works, what doesn't. And they there are enough so much great groundwork. Like I said, right. like, if nothing but these three actors on screen playing these characters will get me to come back because you just want to hang out with them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and for me, like staying true to the source material, like doesn't really matter to me as That's, much. What I'm actually talking about though is like true to the spirit of the source I material. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't give a shit if they go completely off plot points and write a new story. That and that doesn't matter to me at all. Mm. It, it's just that something that was in the pilot and in the finale didn't feel present in all of the other episodes to me. I hear, I'm curious too. I know because I know Sam Catlin directed the finale. Um, I won't, or don't remember who directed the pilot. Do you? I think Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg did the pilot. That could have something to do with it. Um, yeah. I mean, the pilot is funny. Yeah. Like, and even the like fight choreography and that airplane. Like, I mean, I praised that when it happened, but it was just like we smacking people, like smacking stuff with a golf club. Like, they they got really clever in a few of their beats. Um, and the second episode had the crazy chainsaw fight. Like, yeah, that was that was nuts. Their their handling of action on the show is really good because I feel like they find a way to do big concepts and creative concepts that you haven't seen before on a pretty reasonable budget. Like I don't think they did anything that I was like, oh man, the scale of that. It's not like you know you're not Battle of the Bastards big. But. No, I think the fights on this show are way more interesting than the fights on Daredevil, which is another show praised for its Actually, choreography. Yeah. Just because they're that's physically more impressive. This is like from a story point more it, impressive. Exactly, which is what I kind of want when I'm watching Absolutely. television. Um, but anyway, like as we were saying, I think there's enough glimpses of that spirit that you felt was kind of lacking in the middle um, that will not only get me to a second season, but that I think will allow um the creators of this i think amc if they truly believe in this property which it seems like they do they're renewed it's got a talk back show already yeah exactly so i think is chris chris hardwick it's always chris hardwick i think so he's their guy yeah i mean i actually kind of like him on those shows he's good at what he does yeah um but anyway i I think i don't generally watch them though unless it's like unless they've got like the showrunner on there i don't really care to tune in no i have no I, i listened to part of the one that was like Seth Rogen, though, that they did after the pilot, and, like, they had Dominic Cooper on there, and, it, like, that one was pretty fun. Cool. Um, sometimes um, those are good. But anyway, I, I think uh, hopefully they'll be giving a more, a little bit more leeway to push the envelope a bit. I hope so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that's, like, what makes AMC, that, like, that, that was the things about Mad Men and Breaking Bad that made people gravitate towards those. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got one more thing to ask you about before we move on from sure. this, which is, how, how did you feel about... The Saint of Killers reveal. The guy that was in hell, the cowboy guy. Oh, coming into the real world at the end? No, sorry, oh, about that whole po- storyline. Because okay. the way that's presented is kind of what I'm talking about, where I'm like, I don't know if they're aware of how much they're testing their audience patience sometimes. Yeah, I <laughs> it mean... It felt very intentional. I don't know if the payoff was worth the way you had to trudge through seeing that story, like, again and again and again. The way they cut that was, like... So frustrating. Well, I want, I want to talk about two things with that. So, so the what's his name? The he's called the killer of the saint of killers. The saint the of killers, great. Um, I think he has a name in the show. I was really into like seeing this thing in the past happen that I knew would connect to what's happening now. Right, the first time. <laughs> well, I, I actually enjoyed all the excerpts of that as when we saw it through before they looped it. So, so I'm I'm talking about this up until the reveal that he's in hell. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I was really excited to see where that goes, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, There's actually a great line where they tease that earlier in the series where Jesse first goes to Ken Cannon to tell him, like, come to church. And he's like, how do we know hell is not just where you're living the same day over and over again? Like, yeah. And I was like, wow, they tip their hat here really well. Like, yeah. Stuff like that I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I do too, and I, and I think they handled that all really well. Like, I enjoyed the way they intercut his story in. And then, in turn, I had a really ex interesting experience watching the reveal of it, because it, they showed it all the second time, and it was like... Why? Hap well, I was like, at first I was like, do they really think we're so dumb that we don't remember all these beats? I thought they were ho actually holding our hands and saying... Just remember, this is how we got here, guys. But then it started getting quicker and picking up. And I thought, you know, as soon as I saw those footsteps, I kind of realized that it was those guys coming to hell. Um, and I thought that was a really cool reveal. I, I didn't have any problems with that. But there was a moment in the middle where I was like, where they actually fooled me. I was like, I thought they were treating me like a dumber person than I am. And they weren't. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's like when you when you look at it in the spectrum, it's like it, it, was, it was so clearly intentional. I, I just felt like... Uh... I, I don't know if we needed it that frequently. This is the thing where it's like maybe just less episodes would have helped this because it was just like we got it in like four episodes and then again. And I was just like, you're giving this so much screen time. It's, it's kind of how I, like some people are criticizing Night Of's focus on John Turturro's feet. This was a thing like that for me. And it might have been a thing where I also kind of knew where it was going a bit. So I was just like, man, I'm ahead of this. So it was uh, a little frustrating that way. But I, I do think that, like, uh, the way it sped up was pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, as someone who had no idea... The moment of the reveal was cool. Yeah, I thought so. And as someone who had no idea what was going on, I thought that was actually paced out pretty well. And, like, it, it kept me on my feet, like, trying to figure out what was happening. I think it was around episode, like, three or four, four or five, where I just started to feel like the show was trudging along. And then it would open with, like, ten minutes on this character we don't care or know about. And I was just like... What is this? You weren't show even doing? intrigued by him, though. I, I was, I was like, I, I mean, I was trying to look for thematic parallels, and it was like, I, they were there, I guess, but it was like, I just was like, I'm way more interested in Dominic Cooper, Joseph Gilgan, and Ruth Nega. Or yeah. Nega. Well, I guess, I guess it's funny because they're saying about the show that like, I actually feel more relaxed watching than a lot of other shows. That's funny. Is uh, lower stakes or? Yeah, lower stakes. I'm just, I'm not looking, sorry, you were saying you were looking for like thematic uh, similarities between those two timelines. And I, I'm kind of just sitting back. I'm like, show me whatever the hell you guys are doing. Like, mm -hmm. as I was saying, like, this is so, unlike anything else I've seen. And I'm just like, I'm down to sit in it, even if it slows down. Like, I'm just like, show me what the hell's happening. Because I, I just never know what's happening next. And I think a lot of that could be the difference of you having some reference for what goes on right. in the comics. I mean, that's probably true. Um, but but in I mean I'm in the same turf as you if they do more though because I don't really know where the comic goes. Cool, and I'll be interested to hear if that makes it more enjoyable for you. Um, the one thing before we move on that you were saying like you weren't totally crazy on how they paced those scenes with uh, that guy was the one tease that had nothing to do with anything that I thought was so weird and didn't really pay off was like the boiling room for that toxic waste thing. That what, it just turned out to just be a toxic plant. Right, right. I thought so. I my mind was racing. I was like, is that someone who's like operating hell? Maybe. Maybe I that's it was heaven. Like, see, I thought, I thought it would have been more interesting if that was heaven. I thought that was like purgatory, <laughs> and that was like I don't know. He was working some machine that kind of brings you between heaven and hell. Well, I think that was the idea that you were meant to think that those dials had something to do with Genesis. Right, and then it was extremely literal. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I thought that was a little weirder, especially where that was like the bookend of one episode. I I thought that was. 
a, a few, I feel like. I feel like those beats like were sprinkled throughout of that guy in that control room. I thought it was only once. No, it happened like three or four times throughout the season. Well, and they were what some what sometimes was weird is like they'd cut back from a commercial and show such a strange beat like that guy flipping a switch, and then go to the story that your brain would almost like register it like that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And this is where the show comes back. Right, which on one hand is confusing, and on the other hand, like. I kind of just want to applaud the guys making this for not giving a flying fuck if there's better, any convention to what they're doing. It might be a better binge, too. Like, beats like that might play better on a binge than on a week-to-week. Sure. You know? Um, but anyway, that, that's all I have. I'm, I'm excited to see where they go for season two. Yeah, I think on a whole, I think this is definitely worth checking out. It's it's different. It's really different. Well, I think, I think it's funny you just said the thing about the binge, because I think the best thing that could happen for Preacher is if the first season is on Netflix soon. If yeah. they get a one season on Netflix, I think all of a sudden it'll pop up and the audience will build like crazy. The pilot got a lot of buzz, so yeah. I, I think there's hope that this show will stick around for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Well, speaking of Netflix, let's talk about Stranger Things, huh? Yeah. This is kind of the hot turned into the hot topic of the summer. I feel like this came out of nowhere. I, I like didn't know anything about this show until somebody was telling me to go watch it. Well, do you remember on the end of our uh, like spring recap, it was like shows we're looking forward to? I was like, yeah, there's some horror show coming out on Netflix. I, and I couldn't remember the name yeah, of it. Yeah, and it was like, I vaguely remembered like Netflix signed a deal where it was like Winona Ryder is going to be in a show. And I was like, yeah. oh, cool, I like her. She and hasn't acted anything in a while. It's taken over na- the pop culture narrative for the past like three, coming on four weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a big one. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think we both loved it. I think we can say that outright, yeah? Yeah, I mean, here, here's really the thing. It's like the, the, the twists, the turns, the, it's like this is just like the, the best edge-of-your-seat popcorn entertainment that you're, you're going to find in a, in a television format. Yeah, and even beyond that, like it's kind of the perfect Netflix show. Um, yeah. The, the biggest... Top, top of the game for using that model. Yeah, like, e- exactly. And the, the, per, the biggest problem with most Netflix shows is pacing. I think, uh, ever- I think we've critiqued every single Netflix show we've talked about about for being too many episodes too long. Right, because I think they all like Netflix. I think originally had contracts. They wanted episodes to be. They wanted it to be thirteen. I even critiqued and... making a murderer for being too many episodes. R- like- right. <laughs> um, and this is eight clean chapters. Chapters being like pretty key to that because it actually feels like a book. Like I think it watches like a book. Well, and, and distinct episodes i can remember the way one episode ended from when the next one began it's right. not the daredevil like jessica jones just the season is the thing you watch exactly <laughs> it's just saying we just complimented orange is the new black for because the flashbacks help create distinct episodes and here the chapters do and not only do they help us differentiate episodes it allows the duffer brothers the creators to really have distinct beginning middles and ends to every chapter so yeah. it doesn't just feel like a bleed, which is what so many Netflix shows feel like. I mean, hats off for for five great cliffhangers in a row. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know what? This is kind of funny though. Is like I, this didn't bother me, but I did notice that there was they they had a pattern of setting up a cliffhanger and then resolving that cliffhanger before the cold open ended in the next episode. Well. And right there, the cold opens on this show are probably like the best cold opens I've ever seen on television. I, I, that's what I'm saying. Is like this yeah. is just blockbuster TV at its best. Like, yeah, well, it's and it's so. Cine- how fast did you watch this? I watched this in two days. I watched it in one day. <laughs> and what's even crazier than that is, so I started the first episode. I was a little hungover. I was like, this is the perfect day to just sit here and and watch this. I didn't know how far I'd get, but I started the first episode. 
my girlfriend comes in and just kind of like sits down during half of midway of the first episode. She was on the couch with me for the next eight hours. She just didn't get up. It's, it's, um, it grabs you, man. It, it's per- and it's so uh, cinematic in a way that like a lot of television isn't. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. Like, I mean, I I would give that though. That I think that you know what's interesting is like they've always described TV as a writer's medium, but I think more and more we're seeing that like directors really do have a stake in mm-hmm. what makes the shows what they are. I mean, I'm looking at the first season of True Detective with Kerry Fukunaga taking over the entire season. I'm looking at episodes like Battle of the Bastards in Game of Thrones or the finale, um, and, and the Duffer Brothers here like they. There's an, a night of is is incredibly cinematic the way it's shot. I, I I just think that that is like, thankfully starting to become part of the common vocabulary of what makes up a good TV show. Yeah, and also I, I think this show is a really great example of why TV is hot right now and what it's allowed to do that movies are not, and why these fresh young directors are going to television and they're allowed to take risks. These guys risks. have done what like one movie before so this? They did one movie that like kind of got buried. And never really got released. And this gives us hope. This gives me hope for like what we're trying. Yeah, to do. yeah. I, I think like basically Hollywood kind of took a dump on them, and Netflix. I don't know how they got in touch with Netflix or whatever, but they were like, we we we're loving what you're selling us here. Yeah, we're picking I, up what you're putting down. It's just it's it's very very entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it is, and um, and there's a bit of something for everybody here because there there's kind of like I mean it kind of you know by the end of the first episode is devolved into three stories. There's like the younger kids story, there's the high school story, and then there's the grieving mother kind of cop conspiracy story. Yeah, and, um, and all of those are obviously derivatives of, you know, the era of the I mean, the we can go through the list. And, I mean, it's like uh, Close Encounters, E.T., yeah, yeah. Freddy Krueger. Like, there's, a lot of them are really obvious, and some of them are more subtle. Well, and I think it's actually important to say that, like, you and I are not children of the 80s. So our perspective on this is a little bit different than... But it's 80s and, and early 90s. And my sister was born in the 80s, and I have an older sister. So this is a lot of the stuff that I watched growing up. I got like, it. And Goonies. And, and, and me like, too. I, I grew up in the Goonies, E.T., all that. But it's still different we are younger <laughs> we are younger and it is different having watched those after they happened than being in the world when all those movies and tv shows and books came out mm-hmm. um and i think it, you know it's funny because a lot of the it, the critique out there if there is one is that it, it's pulling on heartstrings a little too much and a, you know it, is a little too much of an homage that it doesn't feel like its own piece and as someone who grew up in the 90s and has these as reference points and obviously understands the tributes it's paying but wasn't um, encompassed by that feel when that was happening, I feel like it's totally its own story, and, and I'm 100% with it. Well, so I'll say, like, the nostalgia was strong with me for this one because, like, things like that, I had that exact model of the Millennium Falcon in my basement when I was growing mm. up. Um, there were there were so many toys, and, like, I played D&D with people at... I was, I was the, the age gap between that older sister and the younger brother, the Wheelers, that is the same difference between me and my sister. I grew up in a suburb. Like, I called her right after I finished watching this. We just had a huge thing where it was like, that looked like our friend's backyard and stuff like that. And like, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think that that helps. Sure. But what I think that this does and, and why people are latching onto it so much is I, I think it kind of transcends the, it's just a nod to those things. Because, like, I look at movies like Kick-Ass or Kingsman, things like what Matthew Vaughn does where he makes a send-off to a genre while also indulging in the genre. This kind of does that, but it actually takes it a step further and creates an original thing that is maybe stronger than all those nostalgic elements put together. And it's it's weird because it's like 
We've seen the kid getting experimented on. We've seen the big monster comes to the small town. We've seen every single one of these elements in something else, but they're combined in such a satisfying way. And things like the upside down add enough of a unique mystery that there's something new here too. Yeah, I, I think everything you're saying is is spot on. And I actually think um, what you're saying, it actually it actually serves us more not to break down the similarities between this and E.T. or this and 80s Stephen King movies, but I'd actually rather compare it to two recent kind of homage tribute films, uh, Super 8 and Midnight Special, which I don't think sure. we're able to do exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think, um, quickly just talking about... Uh, did they did they offer Hopper to Kyle Chandler? They must have. <laughs> um, but, he was already doing Bloodlines. So. Yeah, but I, I think... And this is both an example of, of what the Duffer Brothers accomplished, but what you're able to accomplish on TV versus film is that you have eight episodes to stretch out these characters and give you a little bit more so that the troubled man, Hopper, is so much more interesting than Kyle Chandler's troubled man in Super 8. And I actually really like Super 8. I, did, I, I, did, I, I, I really I, like the first a, half of Super 8. Um, I, I'm a big fan of that movie. I mean, I, I, I remember the opening of that movie really strong. Like, just the, they tell such a story in so many simple beats in that movie. Like, they take down the days since incident thing, and it's like there was an attention to detail in that movie that I do think I, it, made, it, it, it puts it a little higher than Midnight Special for me. It does. <laughs> but, well, I, w I want to finish saying, like, what it was um, about, that, about Stranger Things that was better, because I think that for that movie, it's about characters, and it's about being able to draw out these characters, and even the alien characters, like... We understand the monster and Eleven way more than the alien in Super 8. A lot of that because of the time we have, but I think one of the biggest problems with Super 8 sure, is I, we get to that... I'll give on. you Eleven. We, we don't understand the monster. <laughs> no, but we have more background for where he lives and like how we got in contact with him. I'm just saying kind of? that's more than we get in Super 8. Sure, you can't say that's sure, wrong because sure. I think the biggest problem in Super 8 is we get to the end and this boy has this intimate moment with this alien who we just don't give a fuck about. Well, I just want to point out that Stranger Things asked those questions. Where did this come from? Who is this monster? Yeah. What is this girl? I flipped a few of those around. But um, Super 8, doesn't. that's not what that movie's going after. It, it, it's saying this is an alien. It, that's it. You know, and it, it doesn't. it's not trying to ask you... Well, what's the conspiracy? So, like, just a little bit different turf. Just want to, like, point out that Sure, sure. But I guess, I guess with that one, though, what I want to say is, like... I think the nostalgia thing you were saying, though, is on point. Yeah, because... And, and this is kind of a... We don't have to go down a J.J. Abrams road, but I think is... The thing about him is his nostalgia feels more like karaoke, and this sense of nostalgia is, like, as you're saying, expanding on it. Yeah, um, like influenced by, but not a carbon copy. Exactly, yeah. and then I think like with Midnight Special, just quickly, like the, you know, we talked about it on this podcast, and we had our issues. There are two. There's one comparison to Midnight Special that I think both did well, and then there's one thing that I think Stranger Things did way better. And what I really liked about this and Midnight Special is that it showed real quick. Is this gonna be spoilers for Midnight Special? Yeah, it's going to be explosion. Okay. But yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I just wanted okay. to claim that cool. in case somebody hasn't seen it. Yeah, well, well, this one, this first one's not really a spoiler, which is that I really like that both of them show children learning how to use their powers, but also the physical and mental toll that actually using those powers has on them, um, which is something you don't get in a lot of supernatural um, pieces. And the... I will ask you to watch more sci-fi, but yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, in what I've seen, um, or in, I guess, what's popular. Um, and then what But what doesn't, which is a... All right. What, do, what doesn't work well in Midnight Special that I think works a lot better here 
is the literalness of both supernatural worlds. And this actually struck me while I was watching it because Midnight Special, the whole thing was the world on top of the world. Right. Well, this was the upside down, which are both very literal well, concepts. It, and the upside down was executed so much uh, better than I think. I think Midnight Special kind of walked itself into a corner, though, because they wanted to have part of their story be an investigative, uncover the mystery, while also keeping everything out of reach and vague so you could create your own narrative. And those ideas directly contradict each other. Yeah. Here, they just said, it's all those things, and we've got eight hours, so we're going to have time to do exactly. all those Exactly, and that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, I, I think ultimately t like, TV is the best medium for this, and it, Stranger Things was able to do things that Midnight Special and Super 8 weren't. Um, to make it what you're saying, something that's kind of transcendent to the genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll also say, too, to speak to the 80s nostalgia thing, there's a few things here that I thought that the distance of time and, and just perspective actually let them tackle certain things in a way that I don't think they would have been able to do in the 80s. And I'm actually, I'm going to point to, like, this is going to sound like kind of a weird example, but the teen romance. Um... Nancy loses her virginity, and that's a plot line that's handled very messily, like it would happen in real life. And I felt like that storyline played out in a much more believable and entertaining way than it ever does in a John Hughes movie. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think, um, like, this... And it was complicated. What I loved is it was complicated and also not a big deal. Like, uh, I mean, did you did you think they were going to have sex in that first, like, it was the second episode or whatever? Like, I was kind of shocked that I was like... Wow, okay. Like I thought they were when she went up to his room and was doing the whole clothes changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just meant like when that when the storyline started and the pieces were falling into place, they're like at the party at his house. I was like, wow, good for them for just like kind of diving into where this would actually go rather than trying to like, you know, keep it teen romancy and really cutesy. Yeah, and on that too, I think um, like the spray painting of, you know, she's a slut or whatever on the movie facade hits a lot harder now than it would have then, just in terms of, like, the more PC culture that we... Well, yeah, and, and good on them for not making Steve a cardboard cutout. And I thought the beat where he comes to erase the graffiti and, and you know, it comes back for what seems like to be monster meat at the end and then actually ends up contributing, I thought all those were, like, the times where they bait and switched and did something original that was really good. Right, and again, something you're able to do on TV that you necessar wouldn't necessarily have the time for in a movie. Yeah, I don't know if you could have as done that, I, like breaking that down into as many beats, let him fully be an asshole before he's not, but... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. A movie would have probably skipped over the beat of him cleaning it up, uh, up the thing, and he would have just been the dick who like comes back and gets eaten or saves the day, and he's a hero because he was athletic and handsome. Whereas <laughs> like here, we actually get to see a fully fleshed out character. Yeah, with flaws too. Yeah, that's like that's what I think is is great about this, and it's and, and, and just the kids. The, I mean, the younger kids too. They just feel very believable. I mean, they're they're the highlight of the show. <laughs> they're they're the one kid is Chunk from the Goonies. Yeah, they're just like whoever we can get that is closest to Chunk. That's what we're going with. Well, I think what's great about the kids beyond just how charming and like fantastic these young they got actors real rapport, are too. They got real rapport, but also there's something about um, all the science and the theories being explained through children or by teachers to children that allows... I loved that teacher, that it, man. He was great. His mustache was hilarious. Prime stash. Um, but that allows, like, basic adults to understand the science and stuff through the eyes of smart yeah, children. Yeah, normally those scenes feel really forced when they stop to be like, all right, so at some point we're going to get really weird and we need a beat where we're going to do some exposition. And I, I, I'm with you. I thought that they made those sound pretty organic. And, and I, I love that beat when it's like, it's at Will's funeral and the kids know he's not dead. And uh, I actually want to talk about this in a, in a, 
in a beat later we'll, we'll discuss some theories but um when he proposes the idea that it's like oh you guys are trying to imagine a world where this didn't happen and will still alive and they're like yeah yeah that's it how do we get to those other worlds yeah oh my god also just quick the fucking funniest part of the show is when they're at his funeral and he's like, I can't wait to tell Will that that girl was crying at his <laughs> funeral. It kind of reminded me a bit of a, have you seen Submarine? No. Uh, that, what was the the kid who's from Red Oaks? I can't, I can't think of that actor's name. He's like that British kid and, and he was in, I don't know, he's popping up in a bunch of stuff, but they have a beat where he like imagines his own suicide and how the school would react to it. It like reminded me of that beat. Um, those kids were just, I mean, and and uh, we haven't even talked about it, but the girl played Elle. Like, she was awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, all, all the all the talent on the show was... Um, so, I heard a kind of adorable story about yeah. them trying to cast that part, and um, they, they couldn't find a young actress willing to shave her head. And that was an image that they were really sold on. Like, this girl comes out in this medical outfit and, and like, a shaved head... And, um, I mean, that's, that's a risk for a young child actor because it makes them less castable in a lot of other roles. And um, the way they talked this girl into doing it was um, it was right when all the Mad Max stuff was gearing up. And they showed her a picture of Charlize Theron. And they were like, look how cool Charlize looks. You can look like this. You're going to be a badass. And she was like, I'll do it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I, I, yeah, so I, I just think this world was really enjoyable to live in for eight hours. Um, I mean, like, obviously, as with anything, there are a few problems I had. I mean, I think, like, Matthew Modine is the, like, government villain guy was kind of lame. Like, we didn't really understand why he was an evil doctor or why More he wanted later, to do this. Yeah, I agree. They could have... I think it's intentionally left open, though. Sure. that That's fine. But I, I felt like he was kind of a lame character and a waste of a really talented actor. And he had, like, really weird hair, too. His hair was like, what's going on over there? Um, poor Barb. I just want to say, also want to yeah. say, poor Barb really got left to the west side. Like, yeah, well, it, and and like that. That's where like little bits in the logic. I hope that they manage to fill in in the next season. Like, why? I guess Will was hiding, but it seems strange to me that like that monster seemed to take her down immediately. But then Will got caught and then was kept captive for so a while. So what I understood was that Will. We did see the slug, the same slug crawl out of her mouth when she's seen in that void space that that, that Will coughs up at the end. Yeah, I, I, what I understood was that, like, you get sucked into this world and then you're kind of running from the monster until he catches you. And that's, like, why Will was hiding out in his, like... It seems like the monster has camp. to suck you into the world, Yeah, too. It's, well, it's a little confusing, too, which is why, like, I'm not totally sure if Barb's, like, dead necessarily because... Whatever the showrunners did confirm that that actress will not be in season two, so well, she she is dead. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is is um, what the monsters doing, like putting all these children like attached to this thing wherever we found Will at the end, and like them running around for a while and losing their energy, all feels a little too deliberate to be so simply that the monster is just trying to kill these people. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to kind of. Yeah, I really do want to talk theories because I think they leave a lot of stuff open. But I mean, did you have any other like big critiques for the show? No. Um, like Winona's performance. I think like I go back and forth on a lot. I think like she did some incredible things in that show. Um, it was a lot of the same for eight episodes, and like 
I'm not going to discredit how hard her part was and like what it is like to be a grieving mother and a grieving I'm mother gonna challenge who Hollywood everything thinks crazy. Right, but, right now, right, right more than a part that is just a grieving mom like there, there, there was more things for her to do and i, I there was a times i got frustrated with that too yeah and, yeah and, and so it, it felt very one note and um but i still i think she did a good job with what what she had there um and i think i mean she had to sell crazy at yeah. a certain point and you and I, you know what's good though is like there are beats where like she leans into that hard enough that you start to question is this all in her head Totally, and I and I actually think my favorite beats were her were like the couple times she went to buy supplies at the store before oh she God. like totally went mad. Like those were really funny, um, and and it's a really hard part to play because it is saying play the crazy mother trying to figure something out. And and to what you're saying, yes, we need to have more interesting parts. But I think as far as the grieving mom goes, she had a lot more to do than plenty of other characters sure. do. Um, and I think it's a good stepping stone. But I would have liked to see more layers there. Ultimately, I think she did a pretty good job, and it totally worked for what was happening here. And um, not really a critique, but I actually just thought um, the capturing of the kids was going in a different direction, and maybe this will lead us into theories. But at first, I thought that the monster was more of a government weapon, and that they were taking these children to be future 11s, or to be 12, 13, 14, whatever, um, so that's just kind of where I thought it was going, and then it obviously wasn't. Which brings me, though, kind of to my first question slash theory, which is, like, where's numbers 1 through 10? What happened to them? Yeah, well, I, I let's let's dive right into theories, but I want to just, like, the other... It's, like, a small critique, but, you know, it's been fired, and I, I, I gotta agree with this a little bit, is that it seemed like they were building up to a trifecta kind of finale where all these groups come together, and then they split them all apart again for the actual finale. And in a way that was satisfying because these characters were able to have real character beats that were final for them. You know, uh, Mike and Eleven get their goodbye. Um, the Nancy and Jonathan and Steve get their showdown with the monster. And uh, the, the Hopper and Winona Ryder get to, you know, go rescue Will. I, I just kind of wished that there were ways that those three storylines could have converged a little more in the finale. And it, and it could have felt more like it was all building up together to a single thing. Mm. Um, there were beats where I thought that they were going to play with that a little more. Like when they're all in the house, when Winona Ryder and Hopper are in the house and they see the lights, light, Jonathan and Nancy see the lights lighting up. And then that just like didn't do anything. And I don't know, there was, I just thought there was a little bit more opportunity to have a bigger, like a joint finale. See, I, I enjoyed that we had these three different tiers of the show each discovering the stranger things yeah. <laughs> at the, you know, at the same time, but separately then them converging to say, we all know what's up and then splitting back off to finish a different part of the task. Now I, I do think there could have been more of a and break moment where they're like, you need to do this. You need to do this and you need to do this. Sure. I guess there was also just like, I kind of wanted certain character interactions that didn't happen. Like what is like, what does Steve think of, Nancy's younger, like, little brother. Yeah, but like, that, I think that's same for season two. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but I was just like, there are some fun things, like, Nancy and Mike didn't get a lot of screen time together, but when they no, did, that was a fun but I, scene. But I think, you know, it's eight episodes that are so hyper-focused that mm-hmm. that's something that will mm-hmm. come. What I actually liked about the three different storylines at the end and what everyone had to do for, um, you know, to take down the evil people or whatever was it actually kind of felt like the what i love about the finale of the star wars movies where it's like 
You need Lando to go take down the Death Star. You need Luke to fight Vader. And you need Leia and Han on, you know, the base of Endor doing their thing. And how it's all these different characters working on their own thing to an ultimate goal. Sure. And I guess what you're saying and what I was kind of saying... Where but those they, are all that, happening at the same time. This one, one, two, three. Yeah, and, I, and it wasn't a constructed plan. Right. Like, it, it just that happened that they were all doing things that worked to the finale. So, yeah, yeah. so I hear that, but that didn't bother it's me a, quite It's as a much. light complaint. It sure. did not ruin anything. And I thought that this ended as good as a TV show could. You know, you got a, enough of a conclusion and it set up for more stuff, which uh, I think is a good segue to talk about what the fuck was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go for, I mean, go for it. Shoot, we'll kind of rapid fire through some theories. All right. And... So the first one is that, is that um, I can't think of the scientist's name, the head scientist, the guy you were just saying had goofy hair. I, was, uh, I know his, the actor's name is Matthew Modine. I so don't you know could, the Dr. Brenner yeah. in, the, in the show, she calls him Papa. Is that her actual dad? I don't think so. Well, okay, so he ran the MK Ultra test, which were real LSD things that happened that they were like, we're going to try and expand people's brains and make them use the percentage you don't use or whatever. I, I think it's not hard to imagine that guy creeping on his tep- test subjects. Yeah, I hear you. And um, possibly thinking that, like, if this woman is pregnant under this environment, what's that kid going to be like? Makes me wonder, is he the dad of... 10 other children somewhere? <laughs> Maybe. To me, that was more of like a way of him getting the sure, it children doesn't, I, to buy into what he's doing. I agree. Um, I was like, that's a lighter theory. I was just like fine. a, well, a I want to know, back one. to what I was saying, what do you think, you just think 1 through 10, like, couldn't handle the powers that 11 is seeming to grapple with? All right, another theory I have. That monster is one of the other 10. Mm-hmm. Because he seems to be really curious about finding out what it is. Um, it's unclear on whether or not they know that it was there before or not, but they do send her into this, like, you know, gl- like, a blank dimension, and, um, they, they ask her to in- investigate it, which makes me wonder, I'm like, did you know that thing was there? Was this part of your other experiments? How do you know, like, when they put her in that tank, do they know where they're sending her even? It sounds like they do. They said it's gonna, because they say, like, it's gonna be scary, like, this is... Right, so that implies to me not the first time they've done this. Mm-hmm. Is that the experiment gone wrong? It could be. I don't know. Um, I, I, there's also just saying that struck me. I, I don't really feel like this is a prediction or anything, but that line that Eleven says where she's like, I am the monster, I, I don't yeah. know if there's any room for there to be truth to that. So, okay, I, I a few things about that. I read one really crazy theory, and stick with this one because there's actually a little bit of evidence for okay. it, is that the monster is a parasite in her brain. And that when she goes into that, like, black void, it's, like, the inside of your brain that you don't have access to, basically, where this parasite is. And that when she touches it, it, like, is able to, like, break out through some, this is where it gets really sci-fi, into, like, another dimension that she's created. Basically, this thing is, like, some fucked up version of an imaginary friend that's all of her negative feelings channeled into one thing. Um, The evidence to support that it's something in her brain is that when she sees photos of Will and photos of Barbara, she recognizes them. Mm-hmm. And she knows something has happened to them. So there's definitely some kind of mental link between her and this monster. And the other piece of evidence I'd point to is the lights. There seems to be this thing where it's like anything that has to do with that world fucks with electricity. And your brain is a series of synapses firing. It's literally little sparks. So in some way you can say like when there's a life force there, it represents electricity in our world. So, like, energy equals life force. I'm, I'm making some jumps here. So, whatever L's, like, super brain life force is, is the same thing that this monster's is. It's just a little more uninhibited, because the lights go fucking crazy when that thing shows up. So, like, I think that that's, like, 
it's either a part of her or like a version of or like something she could become. But they're mentally linked. They're yeah. definitely mentally linked. Totally. And, and it could be what you're saying. It could also be as simple as like they're connected because she went into that like black dimension. Well, and when she touches it, it, that's what yeah. opens up the, the upside down. The, yeah. So what is the upside down? That's my other question. I don't know. I mean, it was funny to watch this, like, after Preacher, because, like, it really felt like a hell in the way that uh, we kind of experienced hell in Preacher. Um, but I don't know, just, like, it's more things I noticed than theories I have, which is, like, the snow coming down is, like, a I really... It was dust. Like... You got dust? So, so dust is mainly comprised of dead human skin, and there's no humans there. Sure. Food for thought? Yeah. Um, one really crazy theory. Will coughs up that slug... And then that's the future. Like, this town is going to turn into, into that. that. Yeah, I've, I've read because that I, I don't yeah, really yeah, think yeah. that that works for me. I don't like that. I like keeping them as separate. As separate uh, but what's interesting, dimensions. though, is that kind of supports what the, what the teacher was saying about it being a, a different version of the way this universe could have happened. So it's like, I, I don't actually think it's the future because there's a thing where it's like, people can only exist in one place at the same time and time seems to pass the same. So, like... I think if it is anything, it is immediately a parallel dimension, not like an alternate one. Yeah. Um, small but important distinction, I guess. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that uh, it's, it's just so unclear what that's supposed to be and if whether what that teacher describes it as is actually what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it's also like, uh, at least what I got is that there's definitely I, I think there's more aliens as well like that alien the literal alien egg like from the movie Alien that Hopper goes I don't think that was this monster's egg I think there are other uh, monsters out there that will come into play um, I think it'd be I, I know this is Do you think they're the same kind of monster? I don't know I, I assume they were but they don't have to be um, saying that I think would be really cool that like the monster design we didn't talk about that yeah. but very cool cre monster creepy monster yeah um Something I wish they would do, which I, I, I don't think they uh, is pretty clear they're not going to, is if like season two took place in another nearby town where something similar happens, and then season three they converge those two storylines, so it's like the upside down is expanding. I know they're not going to do that, like they've said season two is a sequel and it will pick up where it left off, but I think that would be really cool to kind of see these, uh, you know, these happenings expand and then see it brought back to these characters, but... Definitely. Well, just to wrap this up, let's talk about the big two teases they give at the end. Is, Which is, is Will coughs up this slug, so let's talk right. about that one first, and has a moment where he goes into the Upside Down. Yeah, I mean... What that, do you make of that? Well, I, I think the on the surface, it's like, he's still fucked up and he's not okay, but part of me thinks, like, does that mean he's going to turn into a monster? Did he... So does... Well, when you say he's fucked up and he's not okay, this is, I guess, one of the questions I'm posing. Is, is, is that slug real? And right. is, is does it he PTSD, actually go there? Is it PTSD or is it literal? Yeah, um, I think it's literal. I think the slug, if it was just a flash, I would have said PTSD. The slug to me makes it literal. Which also makes the other thing literal to me too. Like, right, <laughs> um, yes. So I, I think... I keep wondering, is that the first slug he's coughed up also? Um, I don't think so because he's not that surprised. It looks right. like... Right, I was like, he had a, such a like, oh, been doing this once a day. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so... I don't know if, like, the, he's part monster now, if he's going to turn into a monster. That was kind of where my brain went at first. Um, it's clear that it planted something in him in, like, an alien kind of Well, way. right. It's like, whatever that thing that they yanked out of his mouth that he seemed... The monster seems to be putting 
in all these people's mouths for some reason we don't know, which could it could be to create an army or, or something like that. White I don't walkers. know. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, when I was interpreting what that What does the as, monster want, I guess, other than to eat people, too? Like, that's... Unclear. So, so vague. <laughs> unclear. Um, so, I don't know. It's funny. When I was thinking about that as snow, I was like, oh, winter's coming. Like, the upside down's coming. Um... And then I guess uh, you're saying the other tease is with Eleven being alive slash what's Hopper's deal with the government? Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think <laughs> it's funny, but it, well, what I understood it as is like, so another flaw to me of the show that ties into this is like, I don't understand, even if they were convinced that the two of them would die going into the Upside Down, why they'd make a deal with them. Because they, it doesn't seem like they need them to track down Eleven and go sending, allowing Hopper and Joyce to go into the, uh, well, the Upside Down. Well, it solves a few down. problems for them because it also gets the kid out of the Upside Down and, like, uh, I, I don't know. I, fair enough. Like, like, uh, like, I just thought that was a little too convenient and I didn't quite understand why they wouldn't just kill Hopper and, and like, not have someone who can credibly spew what their wrongdoings are. Well, so there's that scene where they knock Hopper out and then he wakes up in his own place. Do Weird. you think he's working for them after that point? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think so, because we get private moments well, of him freaking out. They but staged like... that as an overdose thing, too, right? They yeah, set yeah, the yeah. stage. There were pills everywhere and all that, which they said they were basically going to do again at the end. I do, do think he's working for them, and I think his deal was that he had... I think at ha- the end, he's definitely working well, Right, because his deal with them was he has to bring them 11. Mm-hmm. They'll do everything for him, and he has to do that, and he's clearly putting egos out there. So do you think he's still trying for... to find her for them? I kind of do, because I think, I, I think he's Lando. Dustin said this in it. Like, he is Lando, and I, uh, think, that's I think that's still true. But Lando ends up being a good guy in the end. He does, but he still has to do something wrong first. Um, and maybe, well, and that, But I think that was selling them out and telling them where she right, was. Right, but he so. hasn't done that job yet, and, the, and, they, and they're still going to be after him for that, which is sure. clear. Like, Matthew Modine and those guys may be dead, but the government still knows that he well, is the, indebted to them. The thing I thought was most curious was he seemed to know where this box was. And it was empty when he opened it, which to me implies this is not the first time he's you know what that reminded put me these of? goodies in It reminded me of heavyweights. <laughs> when they put the snacks the in that one The candy stomp. montage. Yeah, yeah, that was the first place my brain went. Um, oh, man. But, yeah, I, I, so my theory is he's Lando and that he's got to do this one thing and then, you know, the very convenient plot would be that the kids find out and have no, to get them I back see, on the side. I see side, more but... as like Dr. Grant from from uh, Jurassic Park, you know, like the reluctant hero. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, it's, it's clear that Eleven's out there and I'm happy because I want to see that actor. Yeah, I, I mean, great. I can't imagine they do a second season yeah. without her. And I'm excited. This might be my favorite love triangle on TV. Just another like lesser tease is like she ends up with Steve. And, and left it open. And left like, it open. Like that's the best love triangle out there that's not the potential of like Brienne, Torm, and Jamie. Like we can still yep. give that number one <laughs> if that really happens as a love triangle. But this one is like, is like some of the better teen romance on TV. I, I really, you know, I really love the show. I recommend it to pretty much anyone. You don't have to like horror or sci-fi to like the show. No. Like I'm not a horror guy. I enjoy, you know, I love E.T. I love Spielberg movies and all of all you know the this is just, where it comes this from. This is but. just so. This is top game. This is just. It's it's so well made. Yeah. <laughs> um. But anyway, that's that's all I have. Um, yeah. Thank th- you guys for uh, for listening. Yeah, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on uh, iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Foolish Gents Filmcast. And you can also contest 
contact us at foolishgents at gmail.com. Yeah, our good friend uh, Dan Smiley actually requested Stranger Things, so we, we're listening if you guys have anything you want or any any questions you ever want to answer on the show. Yeah, let us know, and uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah, thank you very much.